Welcome to Harvest Amarillo Podcast. We're excited you have chosen to listen in today. May God encourage you through this message to live a life of value, of fullness, and fruitfulness for His kingdom. Well, I'm excited about what God has for us this morning as we get ready to, to go into our message. You know, we're in a sermon series about uh, what God does when we turn our lives over to Him in the, in the form of service. And so today's big idea is simply that a church that works is a church that serves. And you can say it this way, a church that works, if you put quotes over it, is a church that serves. We are to be presented one day, a beautiful day in the future, we are to be presented to Jesus as his bride. And the Apostle Paul reminds us that we're to be presented to Jesus without spot or wrinkle. And so what we're doing today is ironing out spots and wrinkles possibly in us, even as a body, that we want to be presented to him without spot or wrinkle. And so as Brett has already mentioned, all the things that are taking place out here with uh, this ministry fair that's going on this morning, hopefully you found a donut at a table, maybe you found a cookie, maybe you found a chicken fried steak, mashed potatoes, green beans, and some gravy on the side. I didn't find that table, but I'm going to look for it after church this morning. But these are ways of serving, right? Ways of serving. Today, open your Bibles to James chapter 1, verse 22. And as you're turning your Bibles and getting there, I just want to uh, thank CRF for being here, Milton and Barbie Jones. If you'll just kind of raise your hands and so people can see you. Uh, there they have uh, in the ministry fair out in the, in the foyer, the older foyer area of the church. Uh, uh, please make sure you go by there. You'll be hearing more about them in the next couple of months. But uh, we're so glad for you attending with us this morning and thankful for that. James 1.22, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, he is not a doer. He is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he looked at himself and has gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. Now this is a terrible thing for most of us. It doesn't say that he forgot what he looked like. For some of us, that might be to our advantage. Y'all don't think that's funny. Y'all going to have to wake up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's sometimes we go to the mirror. I, I know as I get older, I go, is that really me in the mirror? Where did that scar come from? They always said this stuff will show back up, right? And I'm at the age now where it's starting to show back up. And so uh, you, you know what that is. But, it, but it's, it doesn't say that he forgets what he looks like. It says he forgot what kind of person who he was in Christ Jesus. What a terrible thing. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. I love this because basically what he's saying is what's working on, what's going on on the inside should impact the outside. That, that as you see this, this man or woman in the mirror, we have the opportunity to remember what he's called us to do. Over the years, a constant argument among believers is works righteousness. Now, we don't work to be saved. As a matter of fact, if you work to be saved, here's what happens. You wind up working for wages. And you'll never pay enough. It has to be by the grace of God that we are saved. 
Grace, I like to define it this way, it's his ability. For it is by grace that you have been saved, not of works that no man should boast. It is by his ability, not an ability that we have. Now, our part in that is to confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is the propitiation, the, the, the one who took on the sin, the sins that we have, the sins that we will have, that he took that on as the sacrifice so that we are pardoned, so that we can walk in the rightness, if you will, in the righteousness of God. And as we do that, here's the cool thing. The cool thing is, means that, that we not only know who we are, but we know what he's called us to be in this life. Uh, I've said this many times, you know, as I, as I look back on life and, and have evaluated my own life, you know, when I was growing up, I just wanted to be a Tully Hornet. And then I realized that I may not get the position that I want. I wanted quarterback. And there was a guy that was a lot better than me, right? So, so then I just wanted to make the team. My position changed from my sophomore year to my senior year, but my sophomore year, I finally made the team. And when I did, it was on defense, and, and that's okay. I made the team. Now I could, I could focus on my position on that team. And this is, this is where James is going, look, don't just be a hearer. Don't just, just make the team, because once you make the team, once you understand that you're saved, there's something so much greater. It's no longer the question, when did Jesus become your Savior, but when did Jesus become your Lord? Where he's speaking directly and saying, here you go, quarterback. Here's my call to you and for you in this life. And so there's this works righteousness. We don't work to get there. Yes, we, we have to, of course, respond to God's calling to his grace. But here's the other problem with grace. Grace is huge in American Christianity today. We love the grace message, and this message has propelled us forward into truth. But if you go too far into what we call greasy grace or licentiousness, if you men have been coming to Bravehearts, I've been unpacking that. If you go too far with that, it can become reckless. It's not total truth. Some have taken it to the point of reckless liberty, a liberty that will never impact the culture because it looks and acts too much like the culture. It is self-serving. It's about self-indulgence. It's about being hip, being cool. The excuse is, hey, we're being relevant. Big church, less obligation, morality, values, and vision are more success-driven than faith-driven. That becomes dangerous. In other words, we look into the mirror and we know we are called to be different, to live life differently than the world and invite and disciple the world into a place with Jesus. We oftentimes look in the mirror and go back and do what we've always done. We slip back into culture and find our impact is of little value. James 1.24, for once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. Verse 27, if you skip on down, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. As Christians, we should never forget the new creation that has happened in Christ Jesus. We come to Christ, we are made a new creation, we become discipled, and now it's time for us to grow up. James is making this point, a person or a disciple who forgets his call and his purpose in Christ is a person who has lost his faith and if nothing else has lost their effectiveness for the kingdom of God. Isn't it interesting when Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, he says on earth as it is in heaven. 
We have this, this great responsibility. The gospel is a call, church, to responsibility. To be re- responsible with the gospel. To move forward. To be effective for his kingdom. To bring the heavens to earth. Have you ever thought about being stained by the world? There's a, uh, here a while back, I, I, this is a little bit dangerous, but I, I went to a wedding and I was just a participant. I, I wasn't even a participant. I was just a participant, if you can make sense out of that. As a pastor, normally I have a responsibility, right? But in this particular, particular time and, and day, I was just going to attend the wedding. And, and as I was after the wedding, there was uh, alcohol that, that showed up. Yeah, everybody's listening now. Uh-oh, pastor, you know, what were you doing serving the community? I mean, what? And so, and so I, I just remember uh, the, there was a young pastor there, and, and he had, had drank a beer, and then he had another beer right behind that beer, and he had started on it, and I sat down beside him, and, and uh, he, I said, hey, uh, you know, is uh, just curious about a couple of bottles sitting here. He said, hey, drinking's not a sin, preacher. And I said, yeah, well, a stumbling block is. And, and he was very young. I'm talking about this, this guy is uh, just now breaking 30, you know. And I said, look, I'm not concerned. I know you're not going to be drunk. Drunkenness is the sin. I get it. But be careful because we can be stained by the world. I, I know of another man who went to minister in bars and began drinking in the bars so that he could be a minister to the bars. And today he's in rehab. And that's a true story. A pastor graduated from a Christian school to become a pastor. We have to be careful because the world, if we're not, will stain us and we'll look like them and we'll wind up losing our impact. What we're called to do for this world, for the bride of Christ, bringing the heavens to the earth. You know, I was looking for some relevance of people today and and so I just kind of typed in popular people of today because I may not know. Brad Pitt came up. So I, I started reading about Brad Pitt. In 2011, he was in a film called The Tree of Life. He said it reminded him of his youth and being brought up in the Christian faith. He always had questions about the faith is what he said. And by the way, I read his interview. It's very shallow. And then he went on to say, but today he renounces Christianity altogether. A young man who once knew but then forgot, walked away and forgot. What a terrible thing. He's very shallow, which is going to be important in today's message. Katy Perry, on the other hand, before she sang the song about kissing girls, both of her parents were evangelical pastors. Her given name was Catherine Hudson. She told Vanity Fair because I always read Vanity Fair. (laughs) She told Vanity Fair that as a child, her parents would not let her listen to secular music and would only read her the Bible. She, she, and I quote, in my faith, you were always supposed to have faith, she said. But I was always like, Why? Today, she lives a lifestyle that denies her faith. She stated, at this point, I'm just kind of a drifter. Well, here's the problem with drifters. They always wind up at a shallow place. If we're not careful, if we forget who we are, 
who Christ has called us to be, we run the risk of drifting. And when we drift, we wind up at this place that is very shallow. There's no substance. A few weeks ago, I preached a sermon series called The Anchor Holds. And I talked about what happens when we pull the anchor up. We begin to drift if we're not directed in life by something much greater called faith. See, before we cast stones, though, too far at them, what about us? What would be the evidence of our faith? What would the fruit of our faith look like, church? A church that fusses, cusses, drinks, and parties with one another? A church that is in discord or splits every other year. A church that is more impacted by the culture than impacting the culture. A church that is broken or broke in more ways than one. See, it can't be us. We are called to be faithful. Without faith, without works, we too quickly become that man in the mirror staring at his face, but then he forgets who he was as he turns away. We drift and we wind up in the shallow and the faith that we once had is not a faith that is strong enough to change the tide see faith is is important it's imperative to who we are James says by my faith I'll show you my works a person of faith uh, it's because we do what we believe see we don't work to be saved we work because we are saved James is saying that faith apart from works, it can never be sustained. It's faith that makes us doers of the word, not just hearers only. I say this a lot, but the difference between knowledge and wisdom, knowledge is the ability to learn, but wisdom is the ability to apply what you know. And so as we know Jesus, as we walk with Jesus, as we go through this process of sanctification where he's rooting out the sin in us, because I'll say this, a lot of us don't do for a simple reason. We listen to one that's known in Scripture as the adversary. He's speaking too. The adversary is full of accusations. Don't bring up Jesus. You're a hypocrite. Don't, don't speak Jesus' name. You know where you were last night. You know what you were looking at this morning. You know what you did. You are not worthy to speak, much less do the things of Christ. And isn't it interesting that Jesus is known as the advocate in Scripture? You know, if we could walk the perfect life without stain or wrinkle, if we could, if we could, Jesus wouldn't have had to come. But he came, and look, we cannot use our sin as an excuse. Maybe the reason Jesus said, in order to find life, you must lose it. Maybe what Jesus said, the greatest among you will be the servant of all, is because he's given us a clue here. He's saying, hey, maybe you put your faith into action, activities that he's called us to, and watch what happens, the sin that so easily entangles us is no longer before us because His will is. Thanks so often we, we don't realize that Jesus is saying, follow me. Oh, we'll stumble, we'll fall. The scripture says in Proverbs, though a righteous man falls seven times, he does what? He gets back up. 
He's picked back up. He's going. He's moving forward. You see, faith. Faith gets us to a place where we're humble and not proud because we're, we're, we're believing that Jesus, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We, by living in faith, we bless and do not curse. We show mercy and not judgment. It's faith that brings us to a level of servanthood to all the nations. Our faith in Jesus gives us a servant's heart. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. He also states, the greatest among you will be the servant of all. The sovereign king of glory is not a taker. He's a giver. Man, I wonder if I thought of that myself. I'm going to read this again. It'd have to be the Holy Spirit, of course. But the sovereign king of glory is not a taker. He is a giver. Where he leads is a place of serving, a place of fulfillment in our lives. James begins this chapter by saying, I, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Notice, he's a follower of Christ and he says, hey, I'm a servant I am a servant. Our great God leads us to a life, a life of abundance by and through becoming servants. Servants to God, servants to one another, servants to ourselves. Selves, we begin to hold everyone in a valuable way. It's amazing to me, our God who is so immense, who expands and created every solar system, every temperature of every star. He oversees any and all creations. He's dialed it all down to us and he calls us his most Beloved, before you were knit in your mother's womb, he knew you. He had a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. He knows the very hairs of our heads. He knows when a sparrow falls to the ground and he calls us much more valuable. He's dialed down to the very cells of our body, to the microcosms of the universe. When we focus on Him and what He is doing in us, we become His intention. We will serve not out of our own strength, but through the strength of Him who lives in us, the strength of our faith. We'll begin to see everyone in a valuable way. You know, there's a story of Richard Kirkland, and I don't know if you know this story, I read it here a while back, and I went and looked it up for this message, but he was a Confederate soldier, and basically, in 1862, General Lee, he had, he had claimed several different battles, the, the South was really moving, and one of these battles was the Battle of Fredericksburg, and, and I tell you, the Union Army was somewhat in trouble at this time. And the Confederates, what they did was they, they knew that the Union Army was coming. And so basically they let them have the town of Fredericksburg. And then they went and fortified their position at a stone wall just outside of the city. And so at this stone wall, it was a high stone wall. And, and they, they, they had all of their soldiers there. The city was overtaken by the Union Army. But by the time the Union Army showed up at this stone wall, there was a great massacre. As a matter of fact, over 8,000 were wounded or were killed at that stone wall. But that night, when darkness came, both sides were forced to listen to the cries and moans filling the air at the base of that wall. Richard Kirkland, he asked his supervising officer, can I go over the wall to the enemy? 
and serve them? Can I, can I doctor their wounds? Can I, can I give them water? If, if you won't let me do anything else, can I, can I take a canteen full of water and, and go over and, and serve? I know they're the enemy, but they're dying, they're hurting, they're pain. Their moans and, and their cries sound just like ours. And at first, his officer said, no, you can't go over the wall. They'll shoot you. But eventually, as he pleaded, his officer let him go. And as he went over that wall and he began to serve bullet rounds came his way until they realized and recognized he's serving us. In some ways, he's serving. No longer was it about political affiliation. But now it's dialed down to every soul is valuable in the eyes of the Lord. How can I serve? If you go and read about him, you'll find that there were others as well that when they saw his leadership and go and his wantingness to serve, they began to go over and serve as well. Canteen after canteen after canteen full of water. You see, we do what we believe. Have you ever wondered what the world would be like without faithful servants in it? See, faithful servants are the ones who find fulfillment in life. There's a book out there, it's called The Upside Down Kingdom. You've, you may have heard of it, but it's talking about Jesus' ways being different. The greatest among you will be the servant of all. Well, we've had faithful servants in the church for centuries. Tertullian, St. George, St. Francis, Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Wesley, George Whitfield, Mother Teresa, Billy Graham. I, I, I shared earlier, one of my favorites Early on was a man that I was introduced to. His name was St. Augustine, and you've probably heard of him. He wrote the Confessions. When I was at Duke, uh, I just remember having to read his book, and I was so enamored by his book because he was so open. Here's a man who is serving Jesus with all of his heart, and yet his struggles are found in that book. And his struggles, by the way, were struggles of a young man. And he began to write them. He began to confess them. I actually kept that book on my nightstand for years and would read out of it because I realized what, what John was talking about. If we confess our sins, therefore, to one another, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That there was something. So I began to journal mine, my struggles, my temptations. And you know what God did? Instead of just delivering me what he did is he started calling me i started hearing his voice more clear in my life i started seeing his purpose and as i charged towards that purpose other things that entangled me began to fade away you see servants faithful servants find fulfillment all of these whether it be george whitfield mother Teresa, all of these they have one thing in common they were servants whose lives were fulfilled I would also say that a church has to be aware of the culture it's creating. To create a culture of service, we will create a culture that works. Now, I don't mean that, that we'll strong arm everything. I simply mean it's a culture that works. A serving culture, who doesn't want to go to a job where the culture is servanthood? We, we all like that. What, you mean the boss is going to pour me a cup of coffee? What? Now, if you're a boss in here today, hear me. Not a bad thing to do that. I mean, Jesus wraps a towel around his waist. He's not just the boss. 
He's the king. He's the creator of it all. And he puts a towel around his waist and he kneels down and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. Service. We must create a culture of service because it's a culture that works. We don't work to be saved. We work because we are saved. What, what do you want your life to represent? Is your faith at a place that will create a culture of faith around you? We have the opportunity to create the culture here at Harvest Amarillo Church, a culture of loving, a culture of giving, a culture of serving. A church without service is not a church at all. It might have a name, it might have some history, but without service it is not a church. To be doers of the word means that we apply what we know. How many of us have said, I've done my time, let someone else do it now? Don't raise your hand and don't testify, just asking that question. That doesn't encourage me. You know what it is for a pastor to go, hey, would you serve down there? And they say, well, I've done my time. Well, were you in prison? <laughs> in the world. You think I got handcuffs back here? What, what's that look like doing your time? Maybe your season is up for that particular ministry. But listen, your walk with the Lord isn't. He takes us from season to season, and seasons look differently. I understand that. But we need to be encouraging people, encouraging others. There are times to step down, but that's when we have discipled someone else to take our place. And then I would go to lasting works of service are only those of faith and love. I've talked a lot about faith this morning. The faith is the currency that moves God. Faith is the currency that moves us as well. We have faith that what we do is going to make a lasting imprint from generation to generation. You know what happened when God moved and the people yielded themselves, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know what was formed? A nation. A nation. See, lasting footprints, lasting works of service are those that are found in faith and love. It's easy to get into the mundane, but dangerous. Look at the church in Ephesus, Revelation chapter 2. I know your deeds, your tool, your perseverance, that you cannot tolerate evil men. You put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake. And have not grown weary. This is amazing to me. Everything he's saying to this church up to this point is great. You guys are phenomenal. You're knocking it out of the park in these areas. And then he says, but I have this against you. Now, if Jesus says, I have this against you, listen up. He's just built them up. And then he said, but there is one thing. That you left your first love. He didn't say you lost your first love. See, if you lose something, that's a lot of times accidental. I lose my keys to the pickup. I lose, lost my phone last night, and I had the ringer on silence. You know what that is? That's prayer time for me. <laughs> he said that you left it. If you leave something, that means you had a choice. And your choice was not good at that season, during that season of your life. You see, God is love. And, 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 and he says that you left your first love. You left, you walked away from a God who is love, who created you because he loves you. He created us because he loves us as a corporate body. 
And we cannot leave him or have faith in anything else. Our faith is what propels our service, our works. To love beyond ourselves is to have faith in a God who is love. We can't leave him. He gives a warning. I will come and remove your lampstand. So I'd ask you this morning, church, is your life fulfilled today? Did you wake up this morning and say, ah, I have to go to church today. Jeez, I wonder if Curtis is going to preach a long one. <laughs> or did you wake up this morning and say, it's Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. You know, we've exchanged the Lord's Day for my day off. And it's time to come back to where enrichment, where fulfillment is found, where we can be encouraged, where we can find ourselves. Look, you, your way of serving may look different from mine. My, my way of serving is to equip the saints for service. Ephesians 4.11 through preaching, through teaching the gospel. Yeah, that's a form of service. And yet, your form of service may be to clean the toilets. Oh, yeah, you are going to choose that one, Curtis. Yeah, I hear you out there. Now, I've cleaned them too. I'm just using that to be funny. But the truth is, I don't know what God's called you to do. Some of you landscapers might be able to drive by and say, man, I'll tell you what would help. Someone who who uh, just has an eye for detail. Hey, Curtis, uh, let me clean behind the doors. <laughs> that gets on me anyway. <laughs> but I don't know what you're called to, but God knows, and He knows your gift set. Some of you have a gift set to to go to the hospitals and to visit. That's your way of service. It looks different. James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, to keep oneself unstained by the world. To keep oneself unstained by the world. Well, who are the orphans and who are the widows in their distress? There are people who are struggling. There are people who are trying to figure out life. There are people who need an answer, and yet we carry that answer, and we don't even give them the time to ask the question. So important that we pay attention to those who are less fortunate, to those who are in need, to the widows and those who are in distress. You know, back when this was written, if you were a widow, you were raising children, the men were the ones that worked. How were you going to be provided for? Who was going to tell you that there's a God who will fulfill your needs? A church that will uphold you and strengthen your faith walk. And your faith will move God. See, to visit orphans and widows is to have a heart of service, a heart for the lost, the destitute, the underprivileged. It's not always natural to serve. But serving will always keep us humble. It will keep us unstained by the world. It will keep us in a position to, to, to serve the world. So where is your heart today? Are you stained? Will you show us your faith by your works? Where is God calling you to serve today? And I'm not just talking about the church. Jeez, we've got 130-something people signed up on our servants list. That's a lot. Where, where can we be empowered to use our gift sets for this season? Where is God calling you to serve today? Are you drifting to the shallows? Or are you anchored in your faith to his kingdom? Last night... I had the, just happened to be the chapter that I'm on with the kids. And as I read the chapter to them, the book that we're going through right now is by Bob Goff. It's called Everybody Always. As I read this chapter, it was about him receiving a phone call that wanted to charge him $9.95 to take the call. 
So he immediately declined it, called back. He finally said, okay, I'll take it. It was from the, a penitentiary, and uh, this is, I've had these phone calls, so I completely get where, this, where he was going. My kids didn't, but I knew what was coming in this chapter. And he said, so finally I said, okay, I'll accept the call. And this man who's in the penitentiary said, oh, yes, I need to talk to uh, so-and-so. And he said, well, she's not here. You dialed the wrong number. So he gets off the phone. He gets called back. Another charge for $9.95. He said, okay. So he said, I took the call. This guy, he gets on the phone and he says, um, yeah, well, I'm trying to call my girlfriend. Will you call my girlfriend for me? And he's like, okay, I'll do a three-way call thing. Stay on the phone. So he calls the girlfriend. Doesn't even know this guy. This guy doesn't know him. He's just dialing the wrong number. So Bob Goff says, hey, I'm going to help him. And so he calls the girlfriend, and a man answers the phone and says, she's decided to move on with me. So they get off the phone. His phone rings again. This time, he's, you know, it, now it's the third time he's charged $9.95. The guy gets on the phone. And he says, will you call my mother? And he said, okay. So he does the three-party phone call. He calls the mother, and he's talking to his mother. He's sharing what's going on in the prison. And then afterwards, he says, I love you, Mom. And his mother didn't say it back. She just hung up. So he said, I stayed on the phone and tried to minister to this man. He gets off the phone. The man calls back. Now he said, I got so much money. I've got an investment now. I got <laughs> you know, to listen to this guy. So this guy, he says, he said, here's the deal. He said, uh, I'm just going to ask you, will you buy me a bracelet? And he said, of all the things I was thinking this man would ask for, he asked for a bracelet. Why would he want me to buy him a bracelet? But then I thought, you know what? Okay, yeah, sure, I'll buy your bracelet. I'll buy your bracelet. He said, okay, you need to call down here. They sell them here at the prison. This is what it is. He said, I had no idea. I thought he meant like a little fish bracelet that he's going to wear on his arm after we had, you know, the Jesus talk. And anyway, <clears throat> instead, he was up for parole. And he had to buy a bracelet that goes around his ankle that monitors where he's, his, he's located. Well, those are extremely expensive. <laughs> and he said, now I told the man, yes, I would. So now I'm buying a bracelet. I wound up having to call the man and, and get him up there and, and actually ask what color he wanted. Here's the deal. He said he takes every phone call to this day. He puts his name at the back his name and number at the back of his book and said, I will answer every phone call because it's the season of life I'm in. God's going to do something there. Church, we've got to ask ourselves some serious questions. Are we staying by the world? Are we showing the world our, fakes, our, our faith by our works?